something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dispatch, can I help you? Who are we checking on? The mothers are Sarah and Jennifer Hart. Okay. And according to my intake, they have six children in the home. Six children in the home. Okay. The eldest being 19, so not technically legally a child. Okay. The children are in range between 19 and 12, according to my intake. Okay. And are you with CPS or you are the concerned citizen? I'm with CPS. In Cowlitz County? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Let's see here. I've been to the home Monday and Friday. I knocked on the door just this morning, and no, I can get no response. Are you there now? No, unfortunately. And you've tried two times, and you can't reach them? Correct. I've knocked on the door twice. Different cars have been moving in and out, I noticed, so I feel like someone's there. Okay. And when were you there last? This morning, 9.15, 9.30. Okay. Yeah. I've got a deputy on the way, and he will call you back when he uh, has something to tell you. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. All righty. Thanks. Have a good day. Bye. The call you just heard came in the day the hearts died. You can hear the operator speaking with a caseworker from Clark County Social Services, requesting a wellness check at the Hart family's home in Woodland, Washington. The caseworker was responding to a call from Dana DeKalb, who lived next door with her husband, Bruce, and shared a driveway with the hearts. She wasn't the first person to report the hearts to the authorities. You may recall that her own dad had reported them four months earlier. Hi, how can I help you? Yeah, there's some kids that I feel is being highly abused in uh, Woodland, Washington. And basically, my son-in-law is like most people. They don't want to get involved. And so he's keeping my daughter out of it. But since she's told me about it, I just can't live with it. I'm very concerned for these kids. So how did these women, adventurous, tree-hugging, free-spirited peaceniks, as Jen called them on Facebook, go from being groovy, idealistic trailblazers to moms who abused their kids and drove off a cliff. And when did the abuse begin? From Glamour and How Stuff Works, this is Broken Hearts. I'm Liz Egan. And I'm Justine Harmon. 
Here's Lauren Smiley talking with Amy Olstad-Rustad, whose son went to Woodland Elementary School with the Hearts. Describe what you did see when they were there going to the same school as your kids. Just kind of walk me through what you knew about the Hearts. They just caught your eye. I can't, it's like something you can't really, they had an aura about them, you know, just seeing these five, and and I only saw five of them because Marcus must have been at the middle school by then. I can remember them all getting out and standing in a line and just waiting until they were all out in this line. And then they would just walk right in just like little soldiers. And, you know, we thought it was my husband and I would talk about it and say, well, I guess, you know, they're well behaved. We thought they were all the same age. That's one thing that I do remember is, you know, our son was in kindergarten then and we thought they were small. So we thought they had to be in kindergarten. The kids Amy saw from her car window were the hearts. Abigail, Hannah, Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra. The woman dropping them off would have been Jen. At this point, Sarah was working full-time at Herberger's while Jen stayed home with the kids. If you've ever done school drop-off, you know the scene. Big backpacks, shuffling sneakers, maybe a little sister waving from the back seat. For lots of kids, the next seven hours are a drudgery to be endured. For the hearts, the school day might have been a welcome respite from what was going on at home. The abuse started in Alexandria, Minnesota, and it would follow the family across three states. We'll never know why Jen and Sarah moved so many times, but wherever they went, people noticed their kids' odd robotic behavior, their bruises, their hunger. Here's Ian Sperling, Jen and Sarah's friend, who you've heard from before. Looking back on it, it doesn't look like they were normal kids. They didn't really have friends. They didn't hang out with other kids. And you know, that's one of those red flags when I stated that in my post, like, duh. That's one of the other things looking back on, like, why didn't we notice they didn't have, like, friends? You know, the kids weren't allowed to just go hang out with friends. The paper trail starts on September 19, 2008. According to a police report, someone on the staff at Washington Elementary School noticed a suspicious bruise on Hannah Hart's arm. She was six, and this was her second week of first grade. Did a teacher see it first? A cafeteria aide? The school nurse? According to a police report, Hannah told someone at school that her mother had struck her with a belt. Devante was nearly six, too, most likely adjusting to life in a different kindergarten class. Marcus was somewhere else in the same building. He was 10. Did Hannah tell her brothers what had happened while they waited for Jen to come pick them up after school? Here's what we know. When Sarah and Jen were questioned, they told the police that the bruise on Hannah's arm was probably from a fall downstairs. Eight stairs, to be exact. Which is an odd detail to have on the tip of your tongue. I've walked from the first floor of my house to the second one at least a thousand times over the 13 years we've lived there, and I couldn't tell you how many stairs there are. Two months later, a week before Thanksgiving break, Jen and Sarah withdrew Hannah, Devante, and Marcus from Washington Elementary School to be homeschooled. This must have been a terrifying moment for the kids, relinquishing their cubbies and their spots on the rug. What was running through their minds when they left the classrooms that day? Was Marcus, who was in the fifth grade, relieved to be sprung from the looming specter of long division? Were they dreading being stuck in the house all day with Jen? Jen painted a colorful picture of homeschooling on Facebook. Lessons on the beach, meditation on the deck, art class on the dining room table. 
But who knows how long the days were for her six students and how much they might have missed having classmates who weren't their siblings and a teacher who wasn't their mom. In September 2009, the Hart family took a road trip so Jen and Sarah could get married in a civil ceremony in Connecticut where same-sex marriage was legal. For the next nine years, Jen would mark their anniversaries on Facebook, showing the two of them in front of a waterfall or a thicket of evergreens alongside a flowery ode to her bride, who by all accounts was not a regular user of social media. When we were finally able to get married, Jen wrote in 2017, the only people present were our children, simply because our support system was so small. That same fall, all five school-aged Hart kids were re-enrolled in public school. Later, Jen and Sarah would tell a social worker that this was a requirement of their adoption agency. So off the older five went. Marcus, Hannah, Devante, Abigail, and Jeremiah. Sierra stayed home with Jen. You beautiful thing you, Jen wrote about her on Facebook. According to a police report, in November of 2010, Douglas County Social Services got another call from school. This time, the subject was Abigail, who was in the first grade. She'd been stealing classmates' food and digging through the garbage, looking for scraps. Later that month, Abigail reported owies to her teacher. According to a report compiled three years later by the Oregon Department of Health and Human Services, and I'm quoting here, Abigail had bruising on her stomach area from her sternum to waistband and bruising on her back from mid-back to upper buttocks, reportedly caused by Jen Hart, according to Abigail. But in the CPS interview with the couple, Sarah Hart said she was the one responsible for the marks. The worker said this incident was over a penny. They had discovered a penny in Abigail's pocket and asked her about it. Abigail had said she found it. Jen and Sarah Hart did not believe her and said she stole the penny and was lying about it. Hence the spanking, which got out of control, per Sarah Hart. Abigail also said they put her head under cold water and Jen had her two hands on her neck. End quote. Investigators interviewed the other Hart kids who said they were often grounded, spanked, or sent to their rooms without food. But when Jen and Sarah were questioned separately, they told a different story. Sarah said she'd been the one who hit Abigail. Jen backed her up, and the investigators believed them. Maybe Jen had more to lose. She was the one who received monthly assistance checks from the state of Texas for adopting the kids out of foster care. She also received Social Security checks for Devante and Jeremiah. All of these checks were in her name, and she might have believed a child abuse conviction would put these funds in jeopardy. The caseworker's report said, the problem is these women look normal. Remember, Abby was the first kid Jen held in her arms, the one who made her a mom. She was the one who loved dance parties and tried to teach the chickens how to do yoga. In one of the last pictures we see of her on Facebook, she's buckled into a roller coaster at the Oregon State Fair, smiling bravely by Sarah's side. This is the girl whose neck Jen held in her hands under cold water. The state filed charges against Sarah in state court for two gross misdemeanors, malicious punishment of a child and domestic assault. In December of 2010, Minnesota Child Welfare learned about a bruise on Hannah's hand. By this time, she was in third grade, the year of chapter books, when you're not quite one of the big kids yet, but you know your way around the school. 
When she was questioned, Hannah said Jen hit her because she lied. She said Jen hit her all the time. Later, the school nurse called the Hearts to report that Hannah was asking her classmates for food. She said she hadn't eaten all day. Sarah's response was not the one you'd expect of a mother trying to put her best foot forward for the benefit of the authorities. She said of Hannah, she's playing the food card, just give her water. Hannah was the oldest sister, the one with the missing front teeth. There aren't many pictures of her on Facebook, but in the ones we do see, she appears shy and tentative. But she was the one who would eventually jump out her bedroom window and run to the neighbors in the middle of the night to tell them her moms were abusive. But that wouldn't happen until later. Much later. Ian Sperling says he hadn't seen much of the family in the year before they died. There were canceled plans, lots of them. He's been beating himself up over some of the signs he missed. Obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, and my wife and I are beating ourselves up daily because, you know, why didn't we see this? Well, you couldn't. There's not a person I know. And even those people that said they followed up, I get the neighbors following up because they probably saw more, but people or friends or acquaintances of the hearts, there's no way they knew anything was wrong. There's, it's not possible. Maybe if you really wanted to be a very critical, judgmental person, you may have said, well, they're too perfect. I'm going to dive into this. Or, you know, the kids are skinny. Well, we just thought they were eating organic food. And in that scene, there's a lot of people who are skinny. And I think the whole food thing, you know, look, if I was not wanting to vilify or demonize Jen, I would say, well, she didn't know how to punish them. Them because six kids who have developmental disabilities are going to be tough to raise. And so maybe this was her way of trying to find a punishment that was appropriate was, you know, well, you're going to bed without dinner tonight type of thing. And they it morphed into a bigger deal with regards to the neighbors finding out about it and stuff like that. Who knows? That's one way to look at it. I think the more realistic way to look at it is she absolutely was holding food from them for quite a bit. I think another way to look at it was that's how she controlled them. On Tuesday, April 5th, 2011, all six Hart kids were pulled out of Woodland Elementary School. This time, they never went back. The Hart family was officially off the grid. The following year, Sarah Hart was discharged from supervised probation in Minnesota and moved to Oregon to find a new job. We don't know how often the kids got to see Sarah during this time, but her absence must have been hard on them. They'd already had a lot of disruption in their lives. They'd been removed from the homes of their biological families, in some cases, families they would have remembered. During this time, on December 23, 2012, Jen had a car accident with the kids in Missoula, Montana. The car she was driving was the Yukon, the same one she was driving when she went off the cliff. As she described it on Facebook, once, twice, three times, Finally, we crashed into the side of the gently sloping mountain in what was most likely seconds. So many inexplicable thoughts ran through my mind. Was I dead? There was no way we could have all survived such an incident. I unclenched my fist from the steering wheel, brushed off the glass, and turned my head back to see all six kids hanging upside down. Are you okay? Every single child was safely secured by their seatbelts. Jen then goes into a lengthy description of a couple who bent over backwards to help them, even offering to drive the hearts the rest of the way to Portland, where they were going to see Sarah. We weren't able to find any record of the accident Jen describes. However, after the hearts died, Brian Lee, the husband from the couple who offered to drive them that night, was interviewed by the Oregonian. 
He remembers meeting the family after they were involved in what he calls a rollover accident. He says he and his wife rented a trailer to tow the Hart's car to Spokane, and that Jen talked for the entire three-hour drive. She must have been starved for adult company. Interestingly, Lee says the accident happened the day after Christmas, not two days before, as Jen said in her Facebook post. When she posted about the event years later, she made the family's survival sound like a Christmas miracle. The fact that the accident happened right before Christmas seemed to be the whole point. Of course, Lee might have been mistaken about the date, but this discrepancy could be yet another bit of evidence that Jen had her own interpretation of facts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. A few months later, Jen and the kids reunited with Sarah for good in their new home in West Lynn, Oregon, about 15 miles outside of Portland. Jen immortalized their goodbye on Facebook, leaving out the mom's brushes with the law. Here's what she wrote. Packing the past 10 years of my life into boxes. It's almost surreal walking through the house. Empty walls, empty drawers, empty cupboards, empty rooms. The kids' art supplies, instruments, games, and toys are packed. 
I was feeling kind of awful about the lack of things for them to do during the transition time. Until this morning, I was taking down the boys' bunk beds and heard the loudest, silliest, full-on belly laughs and guffaws coming from the other room. I walk in to see a trio of the kids sitting slash laying on the bare floor. Not a single thing exists in that room aside from their little bodies. They were telling stories, making up silly songs, and laughing themselves into sprawled-out piles of utter bliss. Ah, yes. Simplicity at its finest. What a beautiful reminder that the things that matter most are not things at all. We have each other, our songs, our laughter, our love. These are the magic moments. Live, love, laugh. 92 people liked this post. I headed south of Portland to the suburb of West Lynn. It's in Clackamas County, the area where Tanya Harding had grown up. I'd recently seen I, Tanya, so I'd been expecting the scrappy, white, working-class neighborhoods from the movie. Instead, on the bluff over the Willamette River and its mostly defunct paper mills is an upscale main drag filled with Pilates studios, a juice shop, a plastic surgeon offering Botox. The nearby streets are lined with tidy clapboard houses and picket fences, but two stuck out for being less manicured than the others. One had been the house that the Hearts rented when they moved to Oregon, and next to it, the house of Bill Groner. Groner is in his 60s, ruddy cheeks, belly, white goatee. You get the sense he'd be a really good mall Santa. Inside his house, an electric piano sits on his kitchen table, and his fridge is plastered with pictures of grandkids and a magnet that reads, Pray Without Ceasing. This is Bill. You can hear baseball games for up all the way up here from the park down below. A lot of water skiing, a lot of boating. Actually, I've got two neighbors down here across the street that have, have boats, a lot of camping. The Hearts love to uh, camp, I know, because they were seemed like they were often going out on uh, expeditions with their canoes on the top of their, their vehicle. They love getting away, which is one reason I, I thought, you know, they were good parents in the regard that they were doing, like, fun outdoor stuff for their kids. It seems like they've been here, like, maybe for three years. Oh, first time I talked was uh, at the mailbox, and one of them was a little, the gal, I think she worked up at Coles in Vancouver. I forget, is that Sarah? And she was kind of the more open, friendly one. And not that the other lady wasn't friendly, but I, I talked to Sarah at the mailbox. Conversation came up once. There was something at the mailbox that she thought, I can't remember what it was, whether it was uh, somebody had written something, put in their mailbox, something that that she talked like, she thought that she had gotten away from that by coming out here. So that was that was an issue for her, again, you know, being, uh, uh, well, gay, I guess. Uh, and that, that upset her. Basically intimated that she had experienced, that they had experienced that because she had mentioned that, that they, they had some problems before, you know, and she didn't go into detail, but she was just conscious that of being gay that you know in our society and uh so i just thought well maybe you know i don't want her to think that i'm being judgmental and i just want to be a good neighbor 
we'd like to pause here to consider what Bill Groner is saying. Of course, he doesn't want to be a bad neighbor. Nobody does. But we do think the pains Bill and others took to give Jen and Sarah a wide berth might have enabled their mistreatment of the kids. To be clear, we're not placing the blame on Bill's shoulders or anyone else's. But we do want to call attention to the very human tendency not to get involved. We believe it might have landed the heart moms some free passes. Who wants to be the person who comes across as being homophobic or racist or closed-minded? Or, as Bill himself said, judgmental. We're taught if you see something, say something. But we're also told you can't judge another woman until you walk in her shoes. If your neighbor's family looks different from yours, you might check yourself when you're questioning their decisions or their parenting. And in most cases, that's the right thing to do. But where Jen and Sarah were concerned, political correctness might have provided them some cover for their double life. I mean, I'd see the ki- out front once in a while. I'd see the kids. Not very often, though. Not very often. I never saw them, like, walking up the street or anything like that. They were pretty much stayed in their yard. They were friendly, smiled, would say hi, but didn't really carry on a conversation. I, I never saw any kind of friends or family over there visiting them. They didn't seem to come out, well, they didn't come outside very often at all. It was just stayed in the house a lot. So they were looking for land, saving up. It became evident the reason they were here was just as a stop-off place so they could, you know, with that many kids, this was a, you know, large house and kind of a nice kind of area that, you know, not it's not like some places in Portland where, you know, you get some land and all that. They could have animals. I know they were working on getting the, the financing together. I remember when they were talking about that, they wanted to get back to the garden, as we used to say in the 70s. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. 
It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Hearts were in West Lynn for four years before they moved an hour north to Woodland, Washington, to the house next door to the DeKalbs. They never registered as homeschoolers. So for a while, at least, the state of Oregon didn't know about six of its newest residents. But that would change in 2013. While Jen's Facebook account was at maximum activity with near-daily posts throughout the year, two whistleblowers reported the family to CPS. The first call came in on July 18th, a few weeks after Jen posted a picture of a painfully thin Devante playing guitar. Me. Any particular reason you're naked? Him, in the most matter-of-factly fashion. I'm not naked. I'm wearing a guitar. Yep, that's my string bean. According to the CPS report, the first informant, who was anonymous, said, Jen does this thing for her Facebook page, where the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family. But after the photo event, they go back to looking lifeless. The same whistleblower said Jen had allowed each kid only a single slice of pizza for dinner, And when it turned out that someone had helped themselves to more during the night, she punished all six kids by making them wear sleeping masks and lie on an air mattress for five hours. The whistleblower noted that the kids would eat freely while Jen wasn't around, but once she entered the room, they'd deny that they'd eaten at all. The second whistleblower identified herself as Alexandra Argeropoulos. She was a friend the Hearts had stayed with when they traveled to San Francisco that summer. On Facebook, we see Devante in a zebra unitard, again, whip it thin, flashing a hang-loose sign in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. The caption, Good morning, city by the bay. In a statement after their deaths, Argeropoulos said Jen ran the family, quote, like a regimented boot camp, not letting the kids cry and punishing them for laughing too loudly. Also according to Argeropoulos, quote, True kindness, love, and respect for the kids was largely absent. Child Welfare visited the West Lynn House in August of 2013 and interviewed each of the kids separately, despite their mom's hesitation about that arrangement. According to a CPS report, Devante volunteered to go first, and all of the kids' answers were nearly identical. None mentioned past episodes of abuse, and Marcus said he was grateful to the moms for changing his life. One social worker noted that, with the exception of Devante, quote, the kids appeared very reserved and showed little emotion or animation, end quote. When it was their turn to speak to caseworkers, 
Jen and Sarah said Abigail had been, quote, labeled borderline mentally retarded, but they didn't believe the diagnosis and that Jeremiah was globally delayed, possibly even autistic. They also explained Hannah's missing front teeth like this. She'd knocked them out while running on a hardwood floor the year before. Hannah told the CPS workers she needed to wait until she was 17 to get a retainer with teeth. The caseworker's report noted that Jen was, quote, adamant that many of the family's issues stemmed from others not understanding their alternative lifestyle. Jen said she only disciplined the kids by talking to them or making them meditate for five minutes. A doctor who examined the kids for the Oregon Department of Human Services found all but one of the Hart kids, Jeremiah, behind in their growth to the point of falling off, in some cases way off, the chart for their ages. Still, a handwritten cover letter atop the report states, the doctor had no concerns whatsoever with any of the children. Even so, the doctor recommended that a caseworker monitor the family and request follow-up physicals in six months. This never happened. On October 25th, 2013, the same week her six kids were examined on behalf of the state, Jen posted a picture of Devante holding a homemade piggy bank painted like a globe with a caption that said, he had the whole world in his hands. Up next time on Broken Hearts. They was wrong, 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 moving them kids out of the thing. And I'm not racist. There's a lot of white saviorism symbolic in this story now that I never understood or knew about. These kids are being used as a prop. The fact that that would be utilized as a way to mask some of the abuse and neglect that was happening within the home, it's just, um, it's just disturbing. <sighs> it's tough. <sighs> we love those kids so much. For access to exclusive photos and videos and documents about the case, visit Glamour.com slash Broken Hearts. Have questions for us about this podcast? Reach us on Twitter at Glamour Mag or at Broken Hearts Pod. If you like what you heard, leave us a review. Broken Hearts is a joint production between Glamour and How Stuff Works, with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. Broken Hearts is co-hosted and co-written by Justine Harmon and Elizabeth Egan and edited by Wendy Noggle. Lauren Smiley is our field reporter. Samantha Barry is Glamour's editor-in-chief. Julie Shen and Deanna Buckman head up the business side of this partnership. Joyce Pendola, Pat Singer, and Luke Zaleski are our research team. Jason Hoke is executive producer on behalf of How Stuff Works, along with producers Julian Weller, Ben Kiebrick, and Josh Thane. Special thanks to Jen Lance. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey there. I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.